0: You, 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 you welcome to another episode of Everyday Celebrity Podcast. This is season two. Um, today I have a special guest with me. She is a renaissance woman. She is a future magazine owner, a future entrepreneur striving to own her own business. She wants to uplift women. She wants to bring light to women's struggles. And she's here to talk about everything that she has been through, the dark and the light. And we finna get into all that. Oh, so yeah. introducing Zola, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. I'm super <laughs> excited to be here in here. Super awesome space.
0: Thank you. So uh we're not gonna get into uh you know, your business yet. We're we're gonna start from
1: from the beginning.
0: From the beginning of like well, I mean, how not far f-
1: back do you wanna go? <laughs>
0: <laughs> we're not gonna go like to where you're a baby. But <laughs> let's let's go back to are you born and raised in the Bay Area?
1: Yep, born and raised in San Francisco mm-hmm. and uh, you know, went to schools out there. Um and I went to an art school. I went to Soda, school of the arts high school and there it, it was That's in really, San Francisco. That's in San Francisco. And it's kind of like fame, but for SF. And the cool thing about fame, it,
0: fame, what, what, what the fuck is fame?
1: Fame is like, it was a school in New York and it's like where people do you know, dance and music and I think creative writing as well. Like all the, all the different art disciplines, visual, you know, design, and they're all trying to get famous through, you know, whatever artistic discipline they have. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we had our version, you know, in San Francisco of kind of fame. And so they gave us a lot of, um, you know, they, we had a lot of responsibilities, but we had a lot of freedom. So we had an off campus everything, like we'd go off campus whenever we wanted to. And, um, and we were expected to be going out at night till like 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning, at least three days a week, at least with the department I was in.
0: Expecting I was, to go out and do what? Dance um, go, and
1: Go, go to, um, go to plays a lot we had to go to see a lot of like plays and we went to we went to see you know museums at night and we went to see um spoken word poetry slam poetry a lot of yeah spoken poetry um so you know i i developed a a liking for poetry and slam poetry um and you know just writing in general but i think after going through that school and you know my my department head heather woodward she based um, the program after her MBA Um, MBA. Yeah. So she basically like had us do like, you know, a thesis at the end that was like a hundred page thesis and she burned us out pretty quickly. It was like 20 pages. We had to write a week, 20 pages of editing a week. Then we also had to go out all the time and it was fun at first, but then we got really burned out on writing by the end. And mm-hmm. so by the end of it, I, you know, at the same time I was learning to become a heavy alcoholic where well,
0: I was drinking yeah I could, I could i could uh, assume that cuz art schools remind me of like all girl christian schools where you're like undercover wild everyone is like wild and undercover but art schools is like you grow up fast you're like in the in the the real world very early early and shit people are drinking going to like parties partying with grown men and women
1: oh yes i knew like all the graffiti writers like people at my parties they weren't my age they were like 25 to 35 Mm -hmm. you know i would have parties where people would be you know smoking crack and doing heroin and it would just get way out of control these are parties
0: that you're throwing
1: yeah Uh, And just like everyone would come through the door. It's San Francisco too, Yeah, you know? So it's like everyone comes through the door. I knew all these people, all these graffiti writers and, you know, all these like crews and people who were also in gangs and it just, it would get like crazy real quick. And, you know, people at the school were also dealing drugs. And so I hung out with like a lot of drug dealers who were also very artistic and had a lot of artistic talent. Mm. I found that a lot of very artistic people, very intelligent people tend to be drawn to drugs. And it's a sad thing.
0: why do you think that is?
1: Um, you know, I've seen different reasons for it. I've seen people who seem to be just bored with life or bored with the people around them. They're not meant for the system that we have. And even in an art school system, um, you know, you saw regular classes and I don't know, I don't think school, you know, school is one size fits all. And not every individual is the same Mm. and it doesn't work for a lot of people. And I met people who could read, you know, like seven to 14 books a week, but they would skip their classes. And I was one of those people, Mm. you know? So, yeah. So I think like that kind of early upbringing of having a lot of freedom and a lot of responsibilities kind of drove me to, to drinking and, you know, using psychedelics and, you know, there's like, there's Bukowski and there's, um, William Burroughs and there's, you know, there's a lot of artists that have drugs in their work and they talk about using drugs, you know, mm-hmm. there's like the 60s movement, there's, you know, the beat, beatniks and yeah so all of that. Um, But yeah, so I developed a liking for creative writing there. Um And people always told me I was an artist. Mm-hmm. And I hated it. I thought that when you're an artist, that means you're a type B individual, that means you're beta. And I wanted to be alpha. And I wanted to prove that I'm, you know, not just like the artist that's kind of like, woo, like in outer space and doesn't really know what's going on.
0: Did did you hate when people ask you what type of artist you are?
1: What type of artist I am? Um, Not so much. I mean, people, you know, people will ask and I'll say, you know, I do visual art and I do writing, you know, those are kind of the main two. Mm. But I think... That I hated when, when people called me artistic, a lot of times what I heard in them was autistic. I thought they were calling me, you know, stupid for some reason. Mm. And I think that there's kind of maybe it's just all made up in my head, or maybe it's a true belief that some people hold that people who were more artistic can't do, you know, like logic. They're not good with logic. They're yeah. not smart in a different kind of way, and so mm-hmm. I feel like all my life I tried to prove that, and that was by going into law. So you know, I did like a pendulum swing, and that to me that went from you know alcohol to cocaine, and getting straight A's doing that.
0: This is in college. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's stay on high school.
1: Stay on high. Well, actually, <laughs> cocaine was also in high school. I got. Right, my- wait, 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 <laughs> wait! 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 Wait!
0: Wait! wait, wait. All right, so you're in high school, right? Do you think uh, when people do drugs or when artists do drugs, it brings out the artistic side? Because you know a lot of uh, musicians and, like, painters and shit, when they do drugs, they create, like, these amazing songs and amazing uh, pieces of art and shit. I do, definitely, you think, do you think that's why they do drugs?
1: I think, okay, I think that is part of why they do drugs, but I think that people forget that... Um, you don't use drugs, drugs use you at a certain point. Mm. I mean, I have friends who can, you know, do some drugs on the weekends or, you know, they can, you can, they can drink one cocktail and it's fine. Yeah. But I think that, you know, I've seen enough artists who started off doing drugs to be able to have more creativity. And I certainly did, mm. you know, and, and then it ends up, you know, it uses you. You're not, you're not in control anymore.
2: Mm.
1: You know, I mean, addiction is addiction. So, and I've, I've seen a lot of addiction with artistic types and I think it's a feeling of being misunderstood, you Mm -hmm. know, and a lot of other things. And yeah, it does bring out, you know, some artistic abilities, but I think that, you know, a true artist can stand on their own without having to use drugs or alcohol to free themselves. Yeah. A lot of times, you know, you have to kind of, you have to loosen up, but you need to figure out your own way to loosen up.
2: Mm -hmm. You know,
1: um, and for some people that will be drinking or, you know, using psychedelics. And if, if you're not an alcoholic or an addict, then go for it, you Mm -hmm. know, but if you have a problem, just know that you don't need those substances to be creative.
0: So what year did you graduate high school? What was that? What year did you graduate high school?
1: 2013.
0: And then after high school, you went where?
1: So then I went to SF state. Mm -hmm. And I majored in political science and I took a lot of legal classes and I did pretty well on them. And, um, I really liked law because there's, there's no, there's no right answers. There's only wrong answers. That's Mm -hmm. what they say. And so, you know, you're trying to like, in a weird way, it's like, you're trying to find a way around the law to come to a conclusion when mm-hmm. you're solving a problem. And I liked this because when I was younger, I was super rebellious. And this was like another way for me to think about how I could be in the system and also using the system against itself. I thought it was a very cool concept. Mm-hmm. Now, as I got older, I realized that, you know, there's there's way more to it than just that, you know, yeah. it's not like the movies. There's There's a lot of red tape. If you are gonna be doing nonprofit work, that's 13 to 15 hours a day, Um, you know, you usually go to sleep at, you know, 12 and you wake up at four or five o'clock in the morning. You have a whole nother day. And a lot of people say that you are bored and exhausted and stressed out at the same time. And I kind of realized, I mean, by the time I got to law school and everything was crumbling down on me, I kind of realized like I've been doing artistic work. I've been doing creative work. I'm getting hired for creative work. And I like that work.
0: So you went to law school
1: so I went to law school
0: after SF
1: state after SF state. I, for yeah. I took a two years off, um, to work at a law firm, I ended up working at a PI firm, but I worked for the, um, the general counsel mm-hmm. there. And, you know, and she, she wanted me to stay. And I, I ended up getting a gig where I got paid more to do interior design out of anything. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot more fun. I mean, I would go, I'd find samples. I would, I created her website for her. It was Gail Melton design. Um, you know, I created her website, I did her biography, I did a lot of writing, I did a lot of, you know, you know, design work for her. It was a lot of fun.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: And so I think each time I've ever been doing a creative project, I've had a lot of fun with it, but it would always be in the back of my mind like, well, this is fun for now, but I'm going to do law. But I was never really in the legal field. That never really attracted me. Mm-hmm. And I think it was like a need to prove myself to the world that attracted me to law, just show that I have a JD to say, I'm a lawyer.
0: So you're a lawyer,
1: not a lawyer. I went to law school for one semester. I dropped out. I, you know, I had to deal a lot before law school. Everyone was telling me I had to go to rehab and I didn't listen to a person. I called a hypnotist. I was like, Hey, um, can you like get me off of all these drugs? And he was like, you need to go to rehab. I'm like, well, you're a quack anyway. You know, like I just, yeah, didn't work out. I was like, I can do this on my own. I'm strong. I can do it. And I went and I had no friends and you know, I was all the way in Minneapolis. It was cold. I hate the cold. I don't know why I moved to a place that was cold when I hate the cold.
0: Um, You moved to Minneapolis to stop doing drugs.
1: Yeah, I kind of pulled the geographical there. Moved to Minneapolis to stop doing drugs and to, yeah.
0: That's worse.
1: There's
0: nothing but, like, meth heads and fucking uh, shit in Minneapolis.
1: That's correct. No, I would try to find things, and the only thing I could find in Minneapolis was fentanyl. Mm. And so it's like they didn't have anything in between. There was no in-between drugs there. It was like, right,
0: wait, 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 wait. Let's stop with this drug shit. Okay. We're gonna get into the drug addiction in a minute. But let's let's keep talking about this education, your education timeline. All right, so you went you was in San Francisco State, right? I
1: was at San Francisco State Mm -hmm. and I yeah, studying studying political science and I minored in international relations for a while. I really What
0: law school did you go to?
1: I went to the University of Minnesota
0: in Ah, Minneapolis.
1: And you know, I was like I really wanted to go to a top twenty law school, got a one sixty three LSAT score. And I did it. And I'm, you know, I'm proud of myself for doing that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, personal things got in the way. But, All
0: right. So um, how long did you stay in Minnesota after you left school?
1: Oh, like I, as soon as I left school, I came back. I came back because it is easier to find drugs in San Francisco.
0: Did you, did you drop out because you just weren't interested in going to school anymore or
1: I dropped out because I so I didn't even realize I had a drug problem. Like that's the funny part about it. I thought I had depression and anxiety and like every other thing. Like I thought I had autism and like I. Are you a functional drug addict? I. I mean, here's the thing is that I think that a lot of people like using the word functioning drug addict, and I guess I you know you could say I was a functioning drug addict, but I don't believe in that term. Mm -hmm. I don't believe there's. Such thing as a functioning drug addict. You can be somewhat functioning, but you're never truly functioning. Yeah. Your self perception is whack. Mm -hmm. The way you talk to other people isn't okay. You know, you Uh, you don't care about yourself and therefore you don't care about other people. Yeah. And that's no way to live life. You're not living life. You're just going through the motions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, I, I was functioning to a point and, but no, I mean, law school kicked my ass. You know, people were in the library studying all night Mm -hmm. and I was doing whippets like
0: uh, most college students do a shit ton of drugs, especially in finals and all that
2: shit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But law school is, you know, it's it's a different kind of animal. You know, Uh you really got to put the pedal to the metal. And and I just thought I could just, I don't know, go through it and just move through the motions like I did with life. And I thought that would be enough.
0: So what was the first drug that you've ever done? And how old were
1: you? Um, first drug I've ever done. I mean. I'm, I not talking, I, I'm, not I, I'm not talking
0: about smoking weed. You're
1: not talking about smoking weed. You're not. And you're not talking about alcohol and cigarettes. You're talking no. about like actual drug.
2: Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was LSD when I was 14 or 15. Mm-hmm. And then once I tried LSD, well, by the time I was 15, I was doing it every day. After that one time after uh, maybe like a month after, like I, I had some money saved up from some, from some gig. And I remember I could either get a fake ID or I could get 20 hits of acid. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And I went for the 20 hits of acid, Mm
2: -hmm. even
1: though I loved alcohol. So it just kind of shows you like, I mean, I don't know about priorities there. Like that's kind of a weird one, but like, you know, having a fake ID could allow me to go to shows and, you know, hang out with people and do a lot more than 20 hits of acid. But I went for the drugs rather than something that's permanent, Mm -hmm. you know, or semi-permanent. I mean, they take away fake IDs all the time, but you know, I I always went for something that's less permanent that will be, I know will get used up instead of something that, you know, will actually help me Mm -hmm. in life you know, kind of a weird example there, but yeah. But since then, so, so I was doing psychedelics a lot and, but I was also drinking very heavily and my parents started, should they put me on ant abuse, which gives you, it makes you feel like you're having a seizure when you're drinking. So I would drink, I'd be on the ground, I'd be drinking, I'd be, you know, it's gross. I'd be puking, I'd be drinking, I'd be on the ground. It was horrible. It was like a horse show for everyone around me. You know, but I kept doing it. Mm. And then, you know, I think I was 16 when I tried cocaine. And I came back home and my parents thanked me. I drank a handle of vodka. And I did a few lines of cocaine and I could talk and I could walk like I was sober. And I was like, I hit the jackpot. I can actually look like I'm sober when I'm not.
0: Wait, wait, wait. So your parents thanked you for trying cocaine instead of...
1: Well, they didn't know. Uh. They just thought I was sober. Uh. They were like, thank you for not getting fucked up. Because that's the thing, is you know, with cocaine, it looks like you're, you know, you can drink a lot and then do a little bit of cocaine. And then it kind of brings you back to an equilibrium of looking kind of like you're sober. Unless if you can see the signs, but they couldn't tell the signs, Mm. you know. So, So after that, it was like, okay, I know how to get around this. If I just do some cocaine, I'll be fine. I can drink as much as I want. And that worked for a while, yeah. And then, like anything, it stopped working.
0: Have you seen that TV show, uh, Euphoria?
1: Euphoria? No, I haven't. No. Okay. What's it about? You. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit! Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Guess I'll have to put it on my list. Basically. Damn. Have you heard of it? Um. No, I haven't heard of it. Uh, Euphoria. Yeah. I haven't. Uh. Uh-uh.
0: It's with uh, Zendaya. You know what that is?
1: Zendaya. No, I. I've, I've been watching Fringe. Have you seen that show? And Fringe? Fringe? It's like uh. about like fringe science and like they're trying to figure out like you know all these weird things that are happening like teleportation. Uh. I'm like a Rick and Morty fan, like mm. I really like Rick and like I like the science fiction type stuff.
2: Okay.
1: You know, but I'll I'll try I'll look up Yeah, it's it's a good show. I should
0: look into it. Um so what was the worst thing that ever happened to you? doing drugs like, uh, did, you, like a did you like uh black out and wake up like in fucking another state and like uh, fuck, no nothing like did I get that to Texas? i mean
1: there's there's been a lot of bad things that have happened i think the worst would have to be you know i i met a guy mm-hmm. i thought he was gay or you know at least not a threat he talked yeah. about feminism a lot, mm. and um, and I just you know he had cocaine, and I was just willing to go back to his house, mm. and um, something we had like a rap battle, and you were rapping, yeah, I was rapping, and I I actually stopped rapping after that because his <laughs> his cousin was there. He said that I won, and something just switched in his eyes, like I could just see that it wasn't games anymore. Yeah. And, um, and he raped me, and it wasn't something where, like I thought I would maybe not live that night. Like I didn't know if I was going to make it.
0: wow that's crazy. you know
1: it wasn't just it wasn't just, you know, it was it was violent. It was very violent.
0: like hitting you and shit.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was violent. And I was really <laughs> scared. And I could just see that switch in his eyes, and I could see that he was just angry. And it, you know, that's the thing. It wasn't a sexual desire. Even it was just showing that he had power over me. Mm. And so that was one of the scariest things that's happened to me.
0: Did uh, this guy get locked up? No, no.
1: I didn't. I didn't tell anyone. I mean, I told some people, you know. And I had a lot of not a lot of friends that you know wanted to go get a you know, they already had a gun, wanted to go and kill him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I was like, no, don't do that. And thing is, is like, he was unhappy with himself. And I don't, I'm not going to say that I forgive him. You're trying to make
0: excuses for him?
1: I'm not trying to make excuses for him. That's what it sounds like. But I think that when someone does something so terrible there, and I actually saw him again at a restaurant, I ordered food and he tried to give me all this food for free because he knew what he had done. And I, oh, so he's a waiter. He was a waiter at, at What restaurant? At a re- uh at it's like on my street. Um What's the name of your street? On it's on Courtland and they have I don't even know if it works there anymore. There it's like there's a wine bar and then there's um Vega is the main restaurant and then there's a wine bar.
0: How long ago did this happen?
1: This happened oh my god a while ago. I was about 20 so like 5 years ago. But it definitely stuck with me. I mean, I've had bad things happen to me. Think bad things happen when you're, you know, blackout and whatnot.
0: You remember his name? No, <laughs> <laughs>
1: I don't. I don't even. I don't want to remember the details. All I remember is like I, I, you know, I saw him that day. I saw how disappointed in himself he was, and I didn't, you know, I didn't forgive him. I didn't anything like that. But I just, I knew that it was, you know, he thought that he he wanted to be better than me and he just couldn't mm. and he obviously just didn't have like any self esteem and that's why he wanted to take my power away now i don't want him to go out and do this to other girls you know i
0: mean if he he probably has
1: maybe i mean may, maybe i should have said something
0: i mean well it's never too late <laughs>
1: It's never too late. maybe I'll consider it what,
0: what, what is the uh, why do you think when that shit like that happens to women, as far as rape, why do you think women don't uh the majority of the women just keep it to themselves and not tell anyone and, think- and, and allow these uh these men to just walk the streets?
1: You know, I think it's a it's a shame that you have in yourself. After that happened, I like that very morning I was suicidal. Because I felt like something had been taken from me. And I felt like my power had been taken from me. It was like someone showing me, like, you may, ha- you may have all these other things that make you powerful, but in the end, I will have strength. Mm. And you're not strong enough physically to mm. do anything about it. And I think that, you know, a lot of women are just terrified by that. And they don't wanna, they don't wanna deal with the legal system because the legal system has failed women over and over again. And you don't wanna have to look at the perpetrator and be told that maybe you were just a slut. Mm -hmm. Because that's what happens a lot of times. You know? I mean, I know that at that point in my life, I wasn't ready to go through the legal system to bring him to justice. And at the same time, you know, I felt like I, I did see remorse in his eyes. And I feel like that made me feel like maybe he had learned something from it, but I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I like, I would like to think that pe- you know, people's mistakes and the bad things they've done. I've done some bad things myself. Things I'm not going to get into. Maybe, maybe a few of them, but not the worst thing I've ever done. You know, and I don't think that we are the sum of all the bad things we've ever done in our lives. I think that you know, if we've helped people, that kind of Balances things out. Have you, do you like Joss Whedon? He wrote the show Buffy the Vampire Slayer. No. Well, he shows a (laughs) lot. I don't even know who that
0: guy is, but I heard of the show
2: (laughs) and the movie.
1: He shows a lot. Um, of characters who have done bad things and then, you know, they're able to redeem themselves after doing very terrible things. Mm. And I would like to think that, well, there are some sociopaths out there who just do not feel. And I've met some of those people and those people are scary. You know, like I stay away from those kinds of people, but, um, I'd like to think that most people, you know, they have motives that drive them to do things they wouldn't normally do. They're intoxicated or in a really bad place in their lives. And they make a terrible decision.
2: Mm -hmm. I'd
1: like to think they think about it afterwards and they realize that and they have enough empathy to feel the pain that they brought upon another person.
0: If you look back at this and if this was if you would look back at it, would you go to the police after it happened or would you just would you have not changed anything that you've done? And handle in this situation. It's
1: a really hard question because at the time, you know, if the t- at the time, if I had been sober, maybe I would have went about things in a different way. I think, you know, and I know this doesn't make it okay, but the fact that I willingly went to his house and put myself in that position, uh-huh. you know, where I, you know, chose to do cocaine with this person. And I chose, there's all these things that I chose to do. And maybe there was red flags I didn't see, you know, and I think at the time when I, you know, after it happened, I was still intoxicated. So I wasn't willing to deal with it. And there's a certain amount of time you have to go to the police and do the rape kit and do all of that stuff before you basically don't have any evidence or a case
0: did you uh get tested and all that after
1: um i mean i got i got tested Mm -hmm. like i got you know i went to my own gynecologist but i didn't tell them what happened Mm -hmm. i got std tested but that was probably the extent of it that i you know i this is the type of thing i want to write about and i want to have other women feel able to write about because it has a lot of stigma you know and like addiction and, you know, or drinking and rape and date rape. And I mean, even I've, I even want to talk about women who are, you know, perpetuators of domestic violence. Yeah. Because, I mean, people don't think about that. Like there are women who, you know, are the ones who are violent in a relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, I want to get like all sides of it because, you know, there's a lot of things that ma- big magazines don't want to cover. And these, the things we're talking about right now are the things they don't want to cover, Mm -hmm. you know, not all the time. It'll be on in a special issue, yeah. but it's like, there's there's too many triggers, you know, and and I'll have some trigger warnings, but I mean, I think I'm going to need like one big fat trigger warning on my site. Just like Mm. if you get easily spooked or if you've had too many life experiences where you just can't handle reading anything about anything that just don't, don't go here Mm -hmm. because it's, it's going to be brutally honest. Have
0: you been raped more than once?
1: Yes, I have. How many times? I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, drugs and and that kind of thing—they they really go together. Mm-hmm. And you know, and I talked to—I I had a therapist for a bit, um, and I talked to her about it, and she's like, "Well, just remember that now that you're sober, that never needs to happen again. Like you are in control. Mm-hmm. You know, the drugs aren't controlling you. So." You know, I try to put all of that stuff to rest and I still remember it. And I've also been in abusive relationships before that have lasted way too long, but I try to put those things to rest because I want to focus on the future, you know, and there's a place for that stuff. I mean, right now in a podcast where I can hopefully, I'm, you know, other women will hear this and feel, you know, empowered or at least not alone in these experiences. But the place is for, you know, the, the time to talk about it is in instances like this or when I'm writing, yeah. you know, but it shouldn't take up all my mental time mm-hmm. because then I'm letting those experiences get the best of me, you know,
0: has all those bad experiences with men as far as like rape goes, has it made you look at uh, men differently? Like, let's say you're at a bar. And like men come up to you. I'm talking about now that you're sober now. Do you? um...
1: You know, some people would call me incredibly gullible, but I'd like to think that I'm just an optimist in the sense that just because, you know, a group of people did something to me, or not even a group, it's not you can't even call it a group, just a whole bunch of different individuals did something to me. It doesn't mean that i can just categorize all men as bad Mm because i know that not all men are bad Mm -hmm. but if i see someone who you know is who talks to me in a certain way or is talking to their girlfriend in a certain way i have definitely intervened Mm -hmm. like i have intervened helping other women more than i have intervened in my own life i don't know what it is but like there was one time and it was like at the end of high school there was this girl And I think it was like her boyfriend or some guy she was maybe going out with. And he was like, you stay by me. You need to always be by me. You're my girl. You stay by me. You, you know, you stay loyal to me. Don't look at him. Don't look at those guys. Like you're mine. You fucking hear me. And he's like holding her arm and it was just not okay. And I went over to the guy and I just punched him six times in the stomach and I got his attention, you know, and he looked at me. He was like, ow, that hurt. You (laughs) know, and I was like, well, it's supposed to. And he was like what was that for i'm like apologize
0: you didn't know the girl
1: um i sort of knew her from high school but we weren't friends Mm. or anything like i you know i wasn't friends with her actually at all and i didn't really want to be but i just kind of saw the way that he was treating her and i just kind of knew outright that that wasn't okay Mm. and that whether i'm friends with her or whether i even like her or don't like her it doesn't matter she doesn't get you know she shouldn't be treated that way yeah and you know and he like first started apologizing to me and it's just so funny that it's like he starts apologizing to me because i'm the one who inflicted pain on him right and again maybe this wasn't the best way to go about it
2: mm-hmm. you know
1: but it's like i literally had to tell him like no apologize to her not to, why are you apologizing to me yeah you know so like i mean and there's been multiple instances where i've stuck up for other women and not for myself but i'm you know i think I think again, like we, we as people, we doubt ourselves more because we're in our own heads. We know what what we might've done wrong. We self criticize, we self analyze to the point where it can be more detrimental than it is useful, mm-hmm. you know? And I think, and, and again, we make up excuses for people who do things to us. We try to understand why they would Yeah, You know, but when we're seeing a situation play out, we kind of automatically go, this person's in the wrong, this person's in the right, or this person is the victim of this person. It's easier to see because you're not in it, you know, Mm. you don't, they, they have a full story. They know this guy, they know, you know, all the good things about him. So, it's harder for them to defend themselves because they know all these different sides of that, of this guy. They know their part in the relationship. But what I'm seeing is just, it's just an image. It's just capturing one moment in time. And in that one moment, he's doing something wrong. But I'm not, I'm not in their heads. I don't know their relationship. I don't know, you know, all the details. No, I don't know if she's cheated on him before or maybe that's why he's acting out, but it doesn't matter because in that moment, I see what I see and it's not right either mm. way, mm. you know? But I think, yeah, when you're in your own body and, you know, the way you perceive the world, you you know, again, you're, you're self-analyzing, you're self-critical, you're, you're trying to understand another person's emotions. I would like to think that, you know, I know that almost all of us have empathy and I consider myself to be an empath for a long time. I saw that as a weakness, but I'm seeing that more as a strength. Mm -hmm. I think it's a good thing to have empathy, you know, but I think you can't let it get in the way of knowing when you're being treated wrong.
0: So, um, what was it, when was the point? I mean, you obviously went through a whole lot of shit during your, while you were on drugs and shit, but what was, and you're sober now. And how long have you been sober?
1: I've been sober for honestly three months. So I'm kind of a baby at it. But okay. it's very interesting because I've heard a lot of people. It's it's really interesting because even after just three months of sobriety, I can't see myself ever wanting to drink or use again. And I think it's because I got to such a low bottom that I realized that all drugs stop working.
0: All right. Well, let me let me get to this question. Okay. Sorry. So um, <laughs> <laughs> so you went through a whole lot of shit during this time period, right? What was the 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 main what happened to where you were like you know what, it's time to 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 be sober.
1: Okay, so I dropped out of law school. Hated myself for that. I was doing so much fentanyl. I didn't care if I lived or died. And I, you know, I was having seizures every night. I didn't realize this till later on. But I guess you know this weird position I was in it looked like a T Rex. Like can
0: you explain what like what fentanyl is?
1: Fentanyl is like heroin, but it's a hundred times more potent. So people and how do you take it and you can snort it or you can shoot it or you can smoke it. I well, snorted it. Um, okay. I like smoked it a few times, but I, it went too fast when I did mm. it that way. So I, I snorted it and I, you know, I was having seizures. I OD'd, um, and I was so selfish and wrapped up in myself. But after I OD'd, I noticed that my friends and even my family was prepared for me to die. And when someone is prepared for you to die, they, they love you, but from a distance because they're protecting themselves. Mm. And when you start to see people you love distancing from you, not because they don't love you, but because they're scared that you will die. I mean, your heartbreak, like my heart broke, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm like, I'm doing this to them. I'm making them, you know, they don't know if I'm going to live or die tomorrow. I'm like breaking all of their hearts. And I love these people. And I felt like there was nothing left to live for. And then it's like, you know, as soon as I got sober, I still didn't know that till I got sober. And once I got sober, I was like, oh wait, like I have like all this creative stuff on my resume. And if I wanted to do law school, I could do it again. And, you know, there's so many opportunities out there in the world, you know? Like yeah. I, I have a lot to live for, but when you're in this like vicious cycle, you don't see that. But yeah, I guess the the bottom... The, the straw that broke the camel's back would be just literally just slowly seeing people, you know, emotionally break away from me because they couldn't handle it. Mm. And like, I just, I just realized like enough was enough. There was never enough drugs. I couldn't do enough drugs to ever be satisfied. It was never enough. I always plateaued. There was always like, it would be like, you know, a gram. And then I wouldn't get high anymore. A gram and a half. Okay. Two weeks. Wouldn't get high anymore. So you're doing like what? Five grams a day. I mean, that's insane. One gram can kill about 20 normal people.
0: You're talking about one gram of fentanyl?
1: Yeah. Can kill about 20 people. Mm. I was doing a gram and a half a day. Yeah. So imagine all that in your system. I mean, that's not good for your system. Mm. You know? And also, and then when you stop getting high off of that amount, that was another thing that scared me. I'm like, wait, I'm doing this amount and I'm small, you know, and I'm, I can't get high. Mm-hmm. Like how much more do I need to do to get high? you know? And at that point, it wasn't even about getting high. It was just, I just wanted to be checked out. I didn't want to live my life anymore. You know, I was like, bye, adios, vacation time, you yeah. know, but it wasn't a, it was like a horrible vacation, a bad vacation.
0: So how did you uh, get sober? Did you go to like a... So, Where the fuck that, they call that shit?
1: Rehab, yeah, um, rehab. So it was COVID-19. I was looking at rehabs. They are so expensive, like so freaking expensive. They're mm-hmm. like thirty to $40,000 for a month. Mm-hmm. And the the doors aren't locked. Lots of things happen in rehabs that shouldn't happen mm-hmm. because there's, you know, there's not enough protection. And, you know, women get raped in there all the time. Like bad thing, you know, you're in a population of really, you know, screwed up people. You know, you you have a lot of people who are coming off of methamphetamines that are very scary people when they're coming off of that stuff, you know, and I think it was, you know, partially that I also had I had my cats who I'm very attached to. And I didn't want to leave them. So I was looking for like pet friendly rehabs, which costed more. And then it's like COVID hit. And I was like, I'm not going to, like, go through rehab during COVID with mm. my cats. Like, that's going to cost this, you know, ten grand more just for my cats for some, like, small little room. You know, it just didn't make any sense. Yeah. Um. And I, you know, I have Kaiser. And finally, you know, I just – I set a date. And I – it's funny because actually I didn't go through withdrawal. Like, when before when I was doing less fentanyl, and I had been last time – I would instantly go through withdrawals. And there was a 3-day period of just me waiting and not going through withdrawals. And mm-hmm. it was really weird. And all of a sudden, it hit and it hit really hard. Mm. Like really hard. Withdrawals are no joke. It is the worst experience I think I've ever been through. Um but, you know, I just went to AA meetings and that was my program. And I just went to AA and I saw these people who are so loving. Like they just love you. Like it's, it's incredible. You know, they know your story before you open your own mouth mm. because they've been through it and they want you to get better. And each day they just told me, they're like, it gets better. They're like, just hold on. It gets better. And they would also say something else. They're like, be good to yourself. And I always hated it when they said that. Cause I was like, be good to myself. What do you mean? Like treat yourself? Like go, like go get some drugs. Like that's what I thought they meant. You know, I'm like, I can't, I can't be good to myself. Yeah, You know, but what I realized what that means is like go through the pain because if you go through the pain, you will come out the other side, a better person, a healthy person, a person who's aware of the mistakes they make in life, a person who's aware of, of, you know, what they're doing to other people and what they're doing to themselves. You know, I mean, that's what be good to yourself means.
0: Do you think it's easier to stay, uh, to keep on this sober path because, it's COVID-19 and like nobody's going out really to bars and shit, right? So it's easier for you to like stay in the house?
1: You know, partially, partially, I think that might be part of it. Um, But in in another instance, no, it's been really hard not seeing my friends. Um, You know, and like, sometimes I'm like, you know, I'm sober, not dead. Like I can, you know, still hang out with people who are drinking. Like I... You know, I went on a vacation where people were drinking, you know, tequila and this and that in front of me. And I didn't have the desire to drink.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I just know that it's because I'm just built differently. Like they've shown that, you know, alcoholism and drug addiction is a chemical. um It's a chemical thing. It's a chemical imbalance in your brain. And I'm just not built to be able to handle it without like, you know, doing crazy things and, you know, going.
0: So you don't think you can just have one drink and be done for the rest of the night?
1: No, I've never, I mean, sometimes I was able to, and I'd be like, look at that, I did it, you know? But in my mind, I'd always be like, well, I want another, and I also want some cocaine, I also want this, and I also want that, you know? It's just, I can't do the one drink and just stop there. Mm. So I, yeah, so I know because of that, like, it's just not for me. And I've seen now a life that, is working really well without drugs and alcohol and that's a beautiful thing like i see that you know all these people have been wanting to talk to me i'm talking to like these celebrity authors who you know want to talk to me i'm talking to like all all types of people yeah you know and it's it's wonderful it's just wonderful to see what you can do and you know who you can attract and what energy you attract when you're healthy yourself. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't give that up.
0: Did you have to give up uh, a lot of friends because they're into drugs and you don't wanna hang out with them because you'll be trapped into that um, cycle again?
1: Yeah, there's certain people that I can't hang out with. Um, but to be honest, uh, one of my best friends passed away. Um, I would say like, I mean, pretty recently, like about six months ago. Um, and, you know, we, he, he didn't really do drugs that much himself. I mean, he died of cardiac arrest. I, you know, I don't know. I don't want to spread his business around, but, you know, I don't know if that was. I mean, he had other health issues. I don't know exactly what it was. But anyway, he, you know, was, you know, had a lot of friends that, you know, were graffiti artists. And they all did, you know, like crack and speed and heroin and all of it, you know. Mm-hmm. And I would see him sometimes. But, you know, he never wanted me around that. And he, whenever, sometimes I would go over to his house with all these people were around. And he's like, you are killing yourself. Get out of here. You're mm-hmm. killing yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, and he was very protective about it. And um, I mean he passed now, but that was kind of like the last person who knew people that I would want to hang out with, you know. Yeah. That were doing that sort of thing. And now that he's gone, I don't really have a reason to see those people.
0: Why can't you kick the vape?
1: Oh my god. <laughs> Nick I'm like a- <laughs> There's two things I'm not. You can kick. You can kick while.
0: all this other shit. How come you can't kick the vape?
1: It's my last thing. I'm like, you just I've need kicked, I've, to I need something. I need something. Like I've kicked everything else. Don't ask me to stay away from coffee or vaping. Mm. Two things I need. I mean, eventually I'll get off of it because I thought that nicotine doesn't, you know, give you wrinkles or age you, but that's false. It does. It -hmm. makes it so that you know there's not enough, you know, oxygen going to your skin, which gives you wrinkles, and that's why I stopped smoking in the first place. I mean, that and all the other health.
0: I remember when vapes first came out, and 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 they were they came out saying they were advertising, oh, you can smoke these vapes instead of cigarettes; it's more healthier, or it's to quit cigarettes. People were people were vaping to quit smoking. That's and then it, then yeah. the vapes turned into like some other shit. Now, it turned
1: into a whole other thing where it was like a fad. like was put weed
0: in them and all that shit. No, like,
1: yeah, yeah, no. I mean, I, I picked up the Juul because I was smoking two packs a day, and it was really unhealthy. And I was coughing every morning, and it was just gross. You know, it's like I smelled like cigarettes all the mm. time. You know, and people don't don't like that. It's like not good for a workplace. It's not good for seeing clients. Like no one wants to be around someone who s- smells like. Yeah. Old cigarette, like an ashtray, you know. You also don't want to taste like it if you're kissing somebody like Mm -hmm. like ashtray mouth. It's not cute, you know. It's definitely not cute. Not cute. So I was like, I'm gonna vape instead. And and there are some health benefits to vaping. It is better than smoking cigarettes. It's not like I mean, there there's some people who say that it's, you know, worse, which is just I mean, that's a downright lie. It's not worse than cigarettes. Um, it's it's nicotine. And it's, you know, wa- it's a water-soluble, you know, vape thing, you know. I mean, it. it's the science behind it. It's, I don't know, the UK says that it's 95% better than cigarettes. Now, it still gives you wrinkles. It's still, and nicotine isn't good for you. It can cause heart problems. There's a lot of problems that nicotine can give you. But it is better than, you know, smoking cigarettes.
0: This crack is it's better this crack is crack but it's better than the other crack that don't fucking sound right (laughs) yo take this cocaine it's better than that cocaine it's still cocaine but it's just better than this cocaine I don't want to oh, hear that God. shit. No, Nic- nicotine I mean, is nicotine.
1: Nicotine is nicotine. It's you know nicotine is bad for you. Is what I'm trying to say. I think it's better than cigarettes. But you know, again, I'm not a health professional, so don't take my word for it. Yeah. But uh, I I think you know water and nicotine together is better for you than you know just smoking outright mm. something like actual like tar and stuff that's going into your lungs. Yeah. You know.
0: All right. Uh, well. Anyways. Um. Stupid girl things. Explain yes. this to me and to the okay, world. Okay,
1: so I sort of first, like, so I came up with the name much later, but the idea came from just a very simple problem I had.
0: Well, first of all, what is it? Is, is, it, is it a magazine? What, what
1: is it? So it is an online, online women's magazine, mm-hmm. and it's experiential content on an interactive platform. And what that means is that, you know, I want people's experiences. I want, you know, brave women. I need women who... Um, you know, don't hear the voices or don't cannot find what they're looking for. They, they don't feel a connection to what they're reading or seeing out in the world. And those women who feel like they cannot connect to the media to come forward and submit their work so that we do have that voice. Mm-hmm. It's about, you know, creating a space for all of the material that is just not trending or isn't something that a big magazine would want, you know? Mm-hmm. So in in my case, I was in law school and I was looking up people who were, de- women who were dealing with addiction in law school. And I saw things written about men because I think there's less of a stigma just around like men being addicts and men, you know, being able to bounce back and something like that. I mean, women in the law community are held to a higher standard. Um, So I think, you know, successful, you know, lawyers who are women don't want to come out and say, I used to be a drug addict. I know of women who are drug addicts, you know, but I I never heard exactly how they went through it or exactly their story. And we need those stories. So I'm going to be, I, am not a lawyer but I, I went through a semester of law school while I was doing too many drugs, you know, and I I want to be that voice that I couldn't find. Mm. And so that's what I'm looking for. If there's a voice out there that you're not able to find that you need or you needed and that could have saved you or it could have at least given you some perspective and and it could have changed the course of your life, but you couldn't find it. Cause I searched, I searched and I searched, I searched Reddit, which is not very woman friendly. I searched so many different forums to find one story like mine. I couldn't find it
2: Mm.
1: when I know there are stories like that out there, you know? So it really came from that just simple idea. But then I also realized, you know, that I, I read a lot of articles and you know, it's always the same thing that's just kind of recycled. It's like, should you shave for, you know, summer or winter? Should you shave in the winter? Or, you know, it's some, some dumb thing and it's just recycled content. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's always usually like, oh, how to make five ways to flirt or five ways to make your man happy or, you know, whatever. You know, Cosmo. I'm thinking about Cosmo right now. But, um,
0: thinking about what Cosmo? What? Co-
1: Cosmo. Cosmopolitan, like oh, Cosmo, may- the the magazine. Yeah, and you know, yeah, like seventeen-year-olds
0: like, read that. Book Seventeen,
1: yeah, exactly. Like I'm looking for like a women's magazine that is for women. Yeah, and not just for. You know, like young girls or, you know, women who are trying to be Kim Kardashian or, you know, just like real women who are dealing with real issues mm. and want to be able to connect to what they're reading. And that's where the interactive element comes in. I want there to be like, you know, small quizzes or small, you know, interactive elements. There's going to be a forum. And I've actually, I, I've had this idea of doing and actually comes from coronavirus and how people have been kind of potting up. Like we're kind of turning into pods. You know, because you know we don't want to all get infected, and so this idea of basically like how Wikipedia, um, you know, they have like badged people who go over content and um, you know, make sure that you know it's it's okay. Again, I don't want to censor people, but there's certain things that I think you and I could both agree are just completely inappropriate. You know, yeah. like there's no no like you know racism or sexism or just none of that crap. Like, I don't want that, you know, on there. that's not our message. I don't Mm -hmm. want anyone saying anything that's just like outright not. Okay. Um, so, you know, we'll have like kind of, I was thinking of having basically pods where, um, you know, there'll be a group of people who are all interested in one article and then they can start a forum discussion around that article. And maybe even, you know, if, if I have a feature on someone, who, you know, wrote a book about, you know, whatever topic they're interested in, maybe, you know, they can be part of the discussion too. So you're going to be able to ask questions from people that you look up to or who have, you know, answers to maybe some answers to problems that they've faced that might be the answer to your problem as well. So I'm really looking to find, you know, the people that we look up to to be able to speak directly to, to us. You know, and I found that, you know, just by doing like outreach and lead generation through Instagram, actually, that, you know, there's a lot of people that want to share the story and who want to talk to, you know, all people, you know, they they wrote stuff to help people.
0: Is this uh, like live or you're just like working on it right now, trying to set it all up?
1: So I've done one interview with Amy Dressner. She is the author of My Fair Junkie. And she, Mm. um, I mean, her book was amazing and uh, really helped me. Her book was basically about, um, it's called, uh, well, it's called My Hair Junkie. um, Living, getting dirty and living clean, getting dirty and living sober. So I'm forgetting the exact part afterwards, Mm. after that. But um, basically, like she, um, she... It starts with her with a knife threatening her husband and then the cops take her away and then she goes to rehab and then she's on um, you know, then she has to clean the streets and like, you know, a, a jumpsuit and she's like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And it actually gave her humility. And she learned that like through the work and through community service, how to be a person again. And, you know, she finally, you know, she had all these attempts at getting sober and they never worked, but it was like finally like gaining some humility and being out there and helping other people and talking to other people, you know, that finally got her to get back down to earth and get sober. And I really liked her story because it's just very honest from the beginning to the end. And again, she talks about being a perpetuator of domestic violence. And I think that, you know, that's a side of the story that we don't usually hear about. You know, we hear about the guy who strikes. We don't hear about the girl striking back. That happens all the time. Women don't just get knocked down or are like, okay. So you, you, know?
0: you, so you interviewed her. Where working working can people hear here this?
1: Yeah. So I interviewed her.
0: I'm saying, where can people hear, it, hear the interview?
1: Oh, wait, end of interview?
0: No, the interview that you did with her. You said you interviewed her, right? Yes, I interviewed her. Where can people hear it?
1: Yes. Yes. All nope. people where oh where can people I thought you said working people hear it? I'm like, what are you saying? <laughs> where
0: can I where hear can this can you interview? Hear it?
1: Okay, so I am actually still in the middle of editing it. It is super long. It went on for two hours. Um you have this whole thing down. I don't mm. yet. So mm. I'm still trying to figure out how to edit and maybe we'll get some tips from you mm-hmm. after this. Um but basically, you know, I I wanna edit it down to like maybe I don't know, like 15 minutes and then I'll have the full version because people's attention spans just, they aren't that long. Yeah. So I wanted to get something that's kind of short and sweet and like the funny parts. And then we can like have the full interview.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I'm also trying to get like a lineup and get like, I have like a whole bunch of people I'm supposed to be interviewing, you know, I have um, Kat Marnell And I have James Frey, and I have, you know, I have like a nice lineup of people. Are these like
0: phone interviews or
1: face-to-face? These are Zoom interviews, so not Uh face-to-face. You know, I would like to do some face-to-face interviews, but again, during COVID, it's hard. But I think it's also a blessing disguise because these people are like, you know, socialites in Hollywood, some of them. And, you know, a lot of times I feel like these people wouldn't have the time of day for me. But because they can do it this way they're willing to do it. Where
0: did the name come from? Stupid girl. Thanks.
1: So stupid. I I liked the name because it's not just rhetorical, but I feel that, you know, all my life I've been struggling, you know, I've been struggling with ADHD. And I think that sometimes, you know, we all think in a different way. And sometimes people can see, you know, the way that I respond or the way I take things kind of literally as, as a sign of being dumb. And I like all my life have tried to prove that wrong by going about things in a totally wrong way, by being more aggressive, by, you know, trying to go to law school and realizing that that's not really what I wanted to do with my life, by becoming a kind of a meaner person, by Mm -hmm. being more judgmental, by, you know, all of these, like, you know, really what they are, defense mechanisms. And, um, and basically, I mean, there's a stigma around, you know, women just in the workplace and how they do. And, um, and, you know, a lot of times like pretty girls or just girls in general get called dumb or stupid, Mm. you know? And so I'm trying to kind of take back the word for myself. So it's a personal thing, but it's also just like in any workplace, you know, like women are called dumb and stupid all the time so it's kind of like oh in your face like us stupid girls are going to be writing about all this really important stuff that isn't being spoken about right now mm-hmm. so it's kind of like stick it to the man kind of name
0: so where can women uh submit yeah
1: oh that's a good question um <laughs> they can submit at stupidgirlthings.com dot com, and then there's a submit button it's very hard ho- you cannot miss it. It's a yellow submit button. You just click there and submit your writing. And I would love to look over it. You can also submit by emailing submit at stupidgirlthings.com. Um, and I mean, those are basically the two best ways. To do submit.
0: you do you have any uh, do you have any writings like posted already where people can like read? What I'm, basically what I'm saying is this magazine up for like people to like look at?
1: Um, not quite yet, but I'm getting a teaser page coming together and uh. it's gonna come together really soon. I just want it to be, you know, I don't wanna have all this talk and then have like a mediocre page. So I'm trying to have like a teaser page that has the interactive elements I want, that has a forum, that has like three interviews, that has, you know, enough writing, and I need and I wanna have, you know, a good amount of content you know, backup content so that, you know, I don't put this out and then it's just sitting there for, you know, a month. And then I have to scramble to get more content. I want content for, you know, this week and the next week before I put it out there. But I'm Mm -hmm. hoping that I'll have a teaser page up and about in like three weeks, something Mm -hmm. like that. And it might not be completely perfect, but it's going to have all the elements I want, which is, you know, interactivity, Like brutally honest women, you know, people talking about their experiences, you know, and you really no censorship. I mean, except for, you know, what I was telling you about, I mean, Mm -hmm. some censorship, but really no censorship when it comes to, you know, your experience there, it doesn't need to be censored Say exactly what happened to you or exactly what you did and what you learned from it, how you triumphed from it, or, you know, even something like how you put a business together. I have a friend who submitted a piece about how she, you know, how she started her own business and how other people can do the same. Mm-hmm. And it's really like a good roadmap. I mean, it's really, it's like seven pages, like a detailed roadmap, like how, you know, uh, you know, getting a business account, like everything, it's mm-hmm. all in there. And like, I want pieces like that. I want pieces about, you know, um, I actually, I have a, a man who, you know, he's older now, who, who wrote an experience about how he was molested. And I think that that needs to be heard as well. So, so you, but
0: you, so you're taking men writing too?
1: Yes, I'm taking. So it's not just women. It's not just women. I mean, it's a women's magazine, and I really want the female experience. But if a man wants to, you know, show his experience with, you know,
0: I think you, I, I don't think you should do that.
1: You don't think I should do it?
0: You should just keep it all women.
1: Keep it all women. Mm-hmm. I'm th- I've been thinking about just keeping it all women. I've been thinking like I could have like maybe a few posts, but I don't want. I don't want like the majority. Definitely not. I don't even want fifty-fifty percent.
0: Because you want to cater to if you include men, right? Men are not going to go on your 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 shit and then be like, oh, I want to read about because they're going to think, oh, you're, this is just male bashing. I don't want to read about this shit. So, I mean, some men will. But I think because you're, you're basically catering. That's why it's called stupid girl things, because you're basically what I'm assuming you're you're catering to I'm, I'm catering. women. I'm catering, I'm catering right? to women.
1: But at the same time, you know, i have it's I'm working with with men on it and they think that it's really important, you know, to have this out there. And they're excited to read a lot of the pieces. Mm. You know, I mean, I think that um, in AA, we say that, you know, AA is a design for living. And I think that stupid girl things will be kind of like that too. Mm -hmm. It's from each other's experiences. We can grow together and you know, I don't want to, it's, you know, I want it to be accessible to all, you know, that's on a male bashing, you know, magazine. It's like if a woman had a bad experience with a man, she's going to write about it. That Mm -hmm. doesn't mean all men are evil. And I'm not going to take some manifesto that, you know, talks about how all men should die or, you know, I'm not going to post anything like that. Mm -hmm. It has to be your experience. It's You know, if someone has, and this is actually really important. If someone has a political view and they just want to rant about it, I'm probably not going to take that. I want their experience with whatever is being politicized right now. Mm -hmm. You know, if you went to a protest and you got beaten up by the police, I want that story. I don't want you to talk about what you're seeing on the news. We have enough of that. Mm. You know, we have the echo chamber. I don't need it. I don't need another Facebook. This isn't Facebook. I don't need an echo chamber. Mm. I want people's experiences with, you know, whatever subject it is. Mm. So, so that's where I'm heading with it. But.
0: Okay. So tell the people. Where. They can find you, like, this is the point where you, like, pr- basically promote.
2: Promote? Your, okay, your, yourself. So, so you, you can
0: tell, I mean, just explain where people can find you. Uh, if you want to give out your Instagram, email, give out that website again.
1: Okay. Okay, so my, the website's name is, again, this is Zola Yelm, and I created Stupid Girl Things, and you can find Stupid Girl Things at stupidgirlthings.com. Um, you can check out my Instagram, which is right now at Zola Yelm and Yelm is spelled H J E L M. Should actually probably spell out the first name too. Zola Z O L A. Yeah. So it's hard, hard one. <laughs> um, also, you know, my email is Zola Z O L A Yelm H J E L M at gmail.com. Um, but you can contact me through stupid girl things at contact. Um, at stupidgirlthings.com you can submit some of your own writing or, you know, uh, video or, you know, lyrics to a song. I mean, really anything I'm, I'm, I would like to, I would love to take a look at it. I mean, I want this also to be kind of an artist platform. I'm going to have some spoken word artists on there as well. Um, and I'm really excited about that. I'm going to have Kyla Janae, Janae Lacey on it. And she wrote, um, she, or she wrote, and she also, um, performed a slam piece called white privilege and it's amazing and it knocks her socks off. So I mean really anything you have, just you know, throw it my way at submit at stupidgirlthings.com. Um and and yeah, and that's that's basically all. We also have a GoFundMe page. So you can uh find that on the website as well if you wanna support us. But submissions is like number one. Content, content, content. So know i hope you guys like the idea and if you do submit something tell your friends about it you know collaborate in any way you can
0: all right well thank you zola for coming on everyday celebrity podcast uh i think you're going to be the first the first guest of season two
2: Woo! what an honor (laughs) yeah
0: and everyone check out stupid girl things it's it's in the making right now, but all you women, like she said, uh, if you have a story, please submit to stupidgirlthings.com. Dot com. Yeah. And um, yeah, she's looking for content. Uh, she's looking for real stories, unapologetic uh what else uncensored
1: uncensored unapologetic but don't brutally say really no, honest
0: don't say no racist shit okay.
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: so yeah thank you zola uh stupid please uh go on that and submit and we are out do you have anything else, nope. else I to think say that's
1: all i think that's everything
0: She's here with a uh, with her partner. For the, for the people who are watching us, um, he's in the back. You want to you want to come hey, on the hi. mic and introduce yourself. Hi
1: everyone, I'm Lucas. And, uh, I think
0: that. No, no, you can say it. Say it Uh-oh. into the mic. <laughs> <laughs> <to> the mic. <laughs> What's up, everybody? This is-, this is
1: Lucas. Glad to be here. Zola is my lovely girlfriend, and uh, I think "Stupid Girl" thing is going to be a big hit. So check it out and share the stories that need to be heard.
0: All right. Well. We are out. You.